when her physical presence was no longer here, it just felt so complete. And the poignancy and beauty of, I'd never witnessed anyone really close the circle of life the way she did. Yeah, bearing witness to that was most incredible, beautiful thing that I've ever witnessed. This is the Dishing Doulas podcast with Joanne Hahn and Karen Hendrickson of Death Doula Network International, changing the world's approach to death and dying, one conversation at a time. Seriously, let's talk. Whether you're an end-of-life professional, a family caregiver, or you simply want to gain comfort with end-of-life matters, we're here to help expand your comfort with our shared mortality, end-of-life planning, and the important conversations. The views shared in this podcast are solely those of the hosts and our guests and are provided for information purposes only. Be sure to consult with your own healthcare and legal professionals for any personal medical or legal advice. So we're here today to talk with uh, Greg Howe and Terry Portugal-Gooden, who have been on an incredible journey over these past number of weeks. And to give you a little bit of background history, Patty, it's all about the story of Patty Howe and Greg's journey with her. And uh, Patty and Greg Howe lived in a Mongolian yurt in Alaska since August of 2021, when Patty would join her husband, Greg, on the cancer journey together, both of them with uh, terminal illness. They would tear life apart together to see they still fit while living in a temple of sorts created with song. They are once again in the wind. They did settle in Willow, Alaska for their final journey together, where Patty would die in the warmth of their home with her beloved Greg and her death doula Terry at her side. It's such an honor to have both you, Greg and Terry, here with us today. Thank you. So let's Greg, you and Patty have talked about this space of equanimity. From all accounts, it looks like you and Patty lived a dynamic and adventurous life together, yet not without much heartache and struggle as well. So can you tell us what called you and Patty to become so intentional about how you were living with illness and finding equanimity in it all? You know, I have to say that it found us, but there was, we found ourselves in a place where there was no other way to move forward with life without having a lot of anxiety, distress, anger. And Patty came across equanimity and, and brought it to me. Go back about 20 years and we were living and working in the Bahamas and I was struggling as a manager in, in a country of not my home. And so we had a lot of difficulties with employees. And I came up with a term of aim low and just not having expectations of people. And then I realized that when I would become frustrated, that I really needed to aim lower. And Patty and I would joke about our aim low philosophy of uh, life and management. And it really did lead us to the path of equanimity because but it's our expectations that, that typically really disappoint us. And if we truly are living our lives with equanimity, we have no expectations. And we just 
meet everything as it comes and know that we have a trust in the abundance of life that we will have the energy, the knowledge and the fortitude to deal with whatever comes up or we're gonna learn a really hard lesson. And when I say equanimity found us, the way we lived our lives, our own impermanence wasn't a surprise to us when doctors informed us because we had always lived our lives like they were impermanent. And we were just here to experience as much as possible. But it it truly is the only way that we could have lived this period of our lives. I don't see any other way to have moved forward if we would have had expectations about what this role, and, and I'm sure, Cherry, you'll vouch for this, that we were all in just uncharted water so many times. And had we had expectations around what was supposed to happen, it it would have just been a train wreck on roller skates. <laughs> but facing everything as, as it just came up was just such a beautiful journey. And uh, yeah, that's, that's how equanimity came to us. I think I kind of covered it. <laughs> I think it's beautiful, though, to know that equanimity, in fact, actually has been your compass through this journey. And certainly these last weeks, most certainly, I would say, likely, right? Yeah, yeah. Yes. And so can you just share with us a little bit about how the three of you became connected? So, Terry, how did you become a part of this intimate, important journey with Patty and Greg? I first came in contact with Patty and Greg on a live cafe in 2021, and they were on Zoom from the yurt and telling their story about both having been diagnosed with terminal cancer. And at that time, Greg had had his diagnosis for quite some time, but Patty not so long. And I just was mesmerized by her and by him. He was in my class and Patty was in the class the year before. So the fact that they were both death doulas, that they both had done hospice volunteering, that they both were so incredibly adventurous and that and honest and just forthcoming and pure in their communication about what was happening. My heart just like, wrapped itself around them and I just felt like I know these people it was just the strangest thing and then well not strange for us but you know it was one of those moments that's like wow and so I just befriended her on Facebook I, I think she befriended me I don't know but we started communicating on Facebook then we went off Facebook and started having these really deep conversations on through Messenger. And then this went on for quite a while. And we talked, then we exchanged phone numbers. We started talking on the phone. And when they were building Tortuga, we started talking on the phone more often and really resonating with their journey. And she said, when it's my time, will you be my doula? And I was like, 
I mean, just, okay, so this is where I start to cry. It was, the request was from such a loving place. And all I could say was, yes, I had no idea what that meant. In my, to my understanding at that time, they were getting ready to embark on this journey in Tortuga, and that was going to be their final dwelling place. And then, as we know, there was a whole other development. But that is, that's how it happened. And we fell in love with each other. And as sisters and as doulas and as women, mothers, it was a very powerful uh, connection that we shared. And I was so honored beyond any words I could ever express for having had the opportunity to take the journey with Patty and Greg. What a beautiful story that is. It's amazing how these connections can happen even over Zoom or Messenger and Facebook, isn't it? You just feel the yeah. energy. Beautiful. Beautiful. It was more in her, it was more in the way that Patty communicated. It was so real and not, and it was just so honest. It's just the way I can express it. What she said, I knew it to be true. I understood her. It was right what went right to my soul. And I didn't know that it would be so soon because we had talked about my coming there and playing together in the summer. I didn't know it would be so soon. But I was I was in no matter what. For whatever the game was, I was in. So as I said, just beyond grateful. So Greg, we've been following you and Patty now for a few years as you started sharing your journey of vulnerability, connecting, healing, planning, and preparing for your end of life together. When did Patty's end of life planning begin to turn into concrete practical actions of the legal paperwork, digging, arranging for Terry to be present. Can you share the story with us of this preparation? Well, but it didn't happen all at once. It happened in stages. When Patty was a, a hospice volunteer, we had several friends getting your advanced directives together, you know, working with them to do death cafes, and so the conversation started really back in the early days of my diagnosis, which I just came up on my seven-year anniversary of my short-term diagnosis of a few weeks. But And it really kind of, it prompted us to look at getting paperwork in order, wills up to date. And then as we became doulas, these conversations got more real about where did we want to lay down to die? What did our deaths look like? And as these were our everyday conversations. And of course, it shifts. When we lived in Ketchikan in the yurt, we didn't have the ability to do an in-ground burial there. And so we were planning to do burial at sea. Patty also had thought, well, maybe cremation, because there was a place down in New Mexico where she thought she wanted to be down in the cottonwoods, where the cottonwood trees had just really first activated her natural feelings about just wanting to be more of her wild self. And so we'd talked about these things. I used to accuse her of giving me chores 
very much like her favorite movie, Lonesome Dove. I would have to transport her body clear across the country. <laughs> but it was funny how when our time came, when her time came, the conversation started to get really very real about what's the mechanics of this going to look like. And even though we had all the paperwork in place and we had the planning, when we came up here, right as we were leaving Ketchikan, Patty said to me, when it's my time, I want you to back me up to a mountain where I can die. And so we didn't really know what that looked like. We thought we would be living mobile in Tortuga, this dwelling we had built. And as we got up here with the dogs, summer travelers, we realized we needed a parking spot. And so we built this. And after Patty's death, I realized we had backed her up to that mountain to die. But when I say the conversations got really real at the end, we realized, okay, if we're gonna do a home burial, we need equipment. The ground is freezing, it's coming into winter. This was actually before Terry came up. And so I made some calls, managed to get someone to donate an excavator for the effort. And Patty helped pick out the plot where she wanted to be buried. We talked about what she wanted included in her ceremony. And these were always conversations that as doulas and hospice volunteers, we had tried to get people we worked with to have but seldom do people want to talk about planning for death. It's more enjoyable to talk about what we're going to have for dinner, apparently. And that was never the case with Patty. Talking about death and dying was as important as talking about what we were going to do today. And it was such a tonic when the time did come to have had all of these conversations so there was never a doubt that there was never question about what was the intention what would she have wanted did i do the right thing by her because even she said whatever happens is going to be perfect all of this planning all of these efforts and as terry was witness as much as we wanted to do everything that she wanted weather was thwarting us the ground was just frozen into a brick and but without the conversations there would have been a very different outcome so greg knowing that you were in rural alaska alaska with no support no hospice what challenges did that present what was your hardest part well fortunately we had the background of knowing what we needed to have for end of life we realized very quickly when we had picked this property that there was no palliative care within 100 miles of us. So we met with the local clinic. We told them, this is our background. This is our intention. Can you support us for this journey? And we laid it out very bluntly. We had, had all our medical records transferred up there a couple of months earlier. So they knew that our terminal diagnosis were real. And as they tried to work with us, we were educating them as much as any other piece. Because the property, we had to make sure that the covenants were clear for home burial. 
So reached out to the folks that we had purchased it from to make sure that there were no restrictions. We're also part of the Alaska Doula Alliance. And one of the doulas in the Alaska Alliance down in Girdwood, Julie, is also a funeral director. So I reached out to her because I had researched the local laws and was uncertain if I was within the laws. And Julie is about uh, 200 miles away from us here, just south of us. And so she jumped in and helped me make sure that we weren't violating any um, ordinances or laws here. And then we had a, a pretty complete step-by-step -step layout of who we're going to phone to contact. And it was a process to line this up. It wasn't something that could happen in a day. And it had to be very organic. And you had to really meet each challenge with equanimity. Mm -hmm. As Terry bore witness, our local clinic, they had never dealt with the severity of pain level of bone metastases with a cancer. And so adjustments to the pain meds, it was almost daily in the first week of her laying down. And so it wasn't without challenge. And the equanimity certainly made those challenges doable without frustration and all the angst that can normally go with end of life. What was the most beautiful part of it all for you, Greg? Every moment of it, just knowing that this was the final moments of this physical existence that had spanned over half of both of our lifetimes, that we had shared everything with each other. And by the time her physical life was complete, we had no secrets. There was nothing unsaid. Everything from this world had been brought to the surface and in the past, we've heard friends of ours express, I wonder if they felt like I truly loved them enough. And I know that I will never have to have that feeling. Patty left me so complete and she completed her life so well. You know, her doing the videos right up until she really couldn't speak anymore, making phone calls, text messages, just closing the circle of life. And when her physical presence was no longer here, it just felt so complete. And the poignancy of, and beauty of, I'd never witnessed anyone really close the circle of life the way she did. Yeah, bearing witness to that was most incredible, beautiful thing that I've ever witnessed. So uh, can you touch a little bit, Greg, please, on Patty's diagnosis? So she had a malignant liver tumor. And it, oh, I forget the correct medical term, but it had potential for metastases when they first discovered it. And she did have radiation treatment where they planted radiation seeds in the tumor. They said that would give her anywhere from one to three years. 
and they urged her to do a liver transplant at that time. Patty knew her limitations. She knew how she wanted to live her life and being tethered to a medical community, she knew instantly when she heard the word transplant that that was not something that she could do. She had previously been diagnosed with severe um, osteoporosis, which was now in my research realizing was probably tied to the liver cancer because we lose our our calcium. It just is part of it. And so after the radiation treatment, they wanted to continue to do CT scans to see where the where the cancer was, did they manage to destroy the, the tumor, and to monitor it to see when it was coming back. These are all things that Patty knew she couldn't do, wouldn't do, and refused all of them. And her thinking was that if the tumor is gone, it's going to change how I live my life. And if they tell me the tumor's back or it's metastasized, that's definitely going to change how I live my life. And I really want to live every step of my life truly with equanimity, just not knowing what is coming and knowing that we have short time left on this planet. And for her, it was absolutely the right choice. And Back during the summer, she had taken a fall and she had torn the meniscus in her knee and she was actually doing physical therapy. And we thought that her hip had been affected somehow, possibly, you know, adjusting your gait when you have a, a bad damage to a knee like that. And so I would work on the hip thinking it was out of place. But as we did that, we realized that and she was the first one to point it out. She said, I think this is a tumor, that this is not part of my hip. And the cancer had metastasized into the bone, which is, I guess, about 10 to 15% of liver cancer that, that metastasizes. Most of the time, the 80%, it goes into the lungs. Fortunately, it didn't go into her lungs. We did hikes, oh, right up to a month before she died, we did some epic hikes and she was strong, even though she had to be careful of her knee and her hip was very painful. With that metastasis to the bone, the pain levels really increase. And she had been offered a CT scan to check and see, was this something affecting the bone? Because the clinic was saying, this doesn't look like a hip out of place. And so she was entertaining that. When she made the appointment for the CT scan, they asked her if she had any medical devices. And she had had open heart surgery two months before she was diagnosed with the liver tumor. And they had put in a, an atrial clip, and which is a little piece of titanium in there to keep you from getting AFib. Um, I don't know why they put it in. They never really explained it, but the clinic that was going to do the scan said, well, we can't do that. You have a medical implant. It has to be done in a in an emergency room setting. And we realized what a blessing it was that she didn't have that scan because we would have known exactly what was wrong. And also knowing that with the metastases that 
within three to five months, six months, possibly, she would die a very painful death, fully paralyzed. And it would have been a frightening prognosis for her. She never had to hear that. And she was able to just live her life and make choices. Her choice to stop eating and drinking was very much driven by the increase in her pain levels. And she knew what she could and couldn't do. And she knew that she had very little time where she could make rational judgment. Once she went on to pain meds, which she never went on to pain meds until after she stopped eating and drinking, we treated all of her pain holistically with uh, medicinal mushrooms, cannabis, turmeric, and she used no over-the-counter pain meds. You probably treated all of it with love, too. So much love, right? So much love. So much. And so, Terry, we're curious for you from the perspective of having the honor to bear witness to all of this and to receive the call or the planning of, okay, now's the time. Come. And so can you share with us a little bit about how did it feel for you to be getting on the plane, heading to Alaska, knowing what your mission there was and and maybe sharing from your perspective what you saw and what you had the opportunity to be a part of, whether it was some of the planning and, and preparation coming to fruition. I believe that it was prior to your arrival that the graves had been uh, dug um, under the spruce trees beside Patty's Aspen, where she could look at the mountain. Eventually, some of these things were done ahead of time, but would so love to hear sort of some of the insight and experience for you. Oh, wow. Well, Patty called me and told me that she felt that her time was close. She told me about the tumor, which was not, it, it wasn't as if they needed to have an MRI or a CT scan because the tumor was visible to the naked eye. And she knew, she was aware, we all were aware of that at that point. And she was going to live she always would say, I'm living while I'm dying. That was like her joke. I'm living while I'm dying. You know? And for me, when I was called to come, my thing was to serve Patty. I was going as her doula. I didn't really cultivate my relationship with Greg until I got there. I hadn't really met Greg personally on any medium at all until we started my the planning of my journey but we were always comfortable with each other and I asked Greg why do you think that Patty chose me to come and be her doula there's a large network of doulas that we're connected to that I feel maybe she's known longer than me someone more local I had all these thoughts in my head and and I didn't know the answer to that until after Patty had died but I felt it. I knew why. I knew why. Because it was, an, it was that ancient connection that we both felt for each other. And a mad love for each other. That was just the purest thing. 
And I just went with no expectation other than I was going to serve Patty in whatever way that showed up for me. And for me, it was really this journey is the story of a lifetime love between Patty and Greg. And to be invited into that energy felt to me like so much as much of the purpose for my life as any other that I would be doing there. It was very layered. It was very, very layered, but I only wanted to serve Patty. My whole being was to be there for her and be present regardless of what happened. And her, and I really believe that her idea for my coming there was so Greg would be taken care of. I got that right away. And I love and adore Greg. He is an, he, his caregiving of Patty was the most tender while releasing the love, his love, his beloved was so tender and so patient and so everything. So when he would have things to do, I, I gave them as much space as they needed. I just felt like this was their journey together. And I was here to support, support them both at that point. I had the opportunity to be with Patty if Greg had to go to town or work on something or, cause he still had to keep the homestead functioning. And that's no small feat in the snow and the cold and I mean, it was, it was Herculean what this man was doing. And when I got to be alone with her, he'd leave and the door would close. She looked at, she gave me a look of pure mischief and we would lay together and laugh and talk and, and just, she'd tell me her stories and her secrets and her pain. And, and I just, I, and we hugged and we kissed and I just loved her so much. And knowing that any day now, she would move to the next dimension and she was so open about her feelings and the, sometimes it was painful and frustrating and she changed her mind about things and she was just but it was what she wanted that is was what I served and that was that was all if you break it down in a nutshell that was it and the fact that she was doing v said managing her pain became an organic thing. It was huge because Greg had to be the one to inform the clinic what the needs were. They had never heard anything like this before. And they're used to the fentanyl or these drugs are being like so vilified and whatnot. And they're only used to prescribing small amounts. So they weren't ready, as Greg said earlier, for the, the dosages that were required for comfort care. And Patty had a very high tolerance for pain. And so all of that was navigated, but it was like a dance. There really was no, even though what seemed difficult was not acceptable. It just was not going to be difficult. We were going to do it no matter what. And it was just holding the vigil while Patty did the work and releasing her. Releasing. Yeah. 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 It, it is emblazoned in my memory now, Greg, 
the video that was shared of you sitting beside Patty with the smudging and the releasing. And the, the words I think you used, Terry, in the post were releasing his beloved to infinite life. Yeah. When I saw that video, to me, it was the epitome of the depth and the strength and the courageousness of this love story. It is a love story. It is. It really is a love story. Yeah. It, it takes bravery and courage for someone to say, I'm going to choose be said. It takes bravery and courage to walk your property and say, yes, this is the space. I like what you've chosen, Greg. Yes, this is the space. I'll feel good here. It takes bravery and courage to say, I will support you any way you need to be supported. It takes bravery and courage to face the challenges that were ahead of you in all of this and do it anyway. It takes love. I want to add, I can't imagine the thought of any human being that digs their beloved's grave. Mm -hmm. That to me was the, I mean, of all the acts of unconditional love that I bore witness to, that one, I can't even imagine what, how much Greg had to dig to be able to fulfill that. It's ma it's a magnificent thing. Beautiful. Greg, what's your hope for Patty's story now? Oh, hmm. this, this is a story that humanity needs to hear. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine the other day, and we were talking about how different this was in my experience, having walked our parents home, dear friends that have passed before us, folks that we have worked with in the end of life work that we've done that have become dear friends. But this was so very different because there was no piece of her life, of her death that we didn't have our hands on. And there was no point where you can say, okay, they're gone now, have the, have the coroners take the body to the mortuary, whatever the arrangements were. And it was the beauty of the process. And, and I swear that was Patty's sense of humor of giving me, she knows I love projects, but giving me enough projects <laughs> so I couldn't just wallow in my own grief in those first few days. And, I would laugh at some of the challenges because it was so just Patty's humor just coming to the surface. When, as I had dug the grave, we had covered all the fill dirt with insulation and tarps and tried to protect it from freezing because I knew the temperatures were going to get below zero. And so after her death, I shoveled off the several feet of snow and got down to peeling off the tarps and and proceeded to break a shovel right down the center of the blade trying to dig in the dirt it was just that rock hard and i just 
literally had to laugh that, you know, okay, she's, she's giving me another huge project. And the beauty of Patty in her last days, I had been on a trip to Wasilla to get pharmaceuticals and had to drive back in a blizzard. And I arrived home just exhausted. And shortly after I walked in the door and, and I was talking to her and just making sure everything was still good. And I got a text message from a neighbor because it was the Thanksgiving week. And they said they had made food and they would love to share this food with us. And I just did not have the energy for outside. And Patty said, you have always just sucked at accepting help. And this is the last gift I'm going to give you is I'm going to teach you how to accept help. So I sent a text to the neighbors. Yes, we'd very much love to accept your food and see you. And they came and his wife had um, made oils and tinctures that were just so vital to the next week of her death that keeping her skin hydrated and just all beautiful anointing oils. And all of these were handcrafted from local indigenous plants. And he was from the South, is from the South. And he said, you know, we never learned how to handle grief or talk about this, so we cook. And so Carrie and I are trying to figure out what to do with a whole turkey. We have a little tiny refrigerator. <laughs> but all of these things and that evening, she truly taught me how to have community. So when we had these challenges of the frozen dirt, reaching out to neighbors and saying, can you help us with a solution? And cutting four and a half cords of spruce and lighting bonfires to thaw the dirt. And the neighbors showing up with their own shovels for the burial and knowing that these were Herculean tasks that we had set ourselves into. These were the, the truly beautiful gifts that she continues to give me. And it's the little things that would just make me laugh and know that our existence, how we view our presence in this world, we have always viewed it through our physical body. And Patty really taught me to view it through our energetic selves. And she was very much connected to the energetic field. We had delved heavily into meditation. She had guided me there. It's something I'd struggled with sitting still. And we just showed up on the mat every day for years until finally meditation really happened. But... She also introduced me to a Qigong energy master who really opened us to a better understanding of what we are comprised of. And I go back to science, to the physics, and energy, one of our fundamental laws of physics is that energy can't be created or destroyed. And so these are the esoteric questions that we all ask ourselves, these existential conversations that we want to have. What happens? And Patty helped me truly believe that the occupation of these physical forms is really a temporary thing. 
And when we release, this energy is everywhere. And she loved that movie, Everything Everywhere All at Once. It was, even though it took us three times to watch it, we thought it was some kind of a Kung Fu movie at first. But <laughs> <laughs> she just, she loved that movie. And she loved the philosophy. And she showed us, you know, it's Terry, I, I think you remember one of the things that I asked her was, I, I want you to come back in an energetic form of a fox for me. I love the red fox and I haven't seen them here. And so one day as I was driving to town on some errand before she died, a red fox crossed the road directly in front of the vehicle and just stopped and stared at us. And I had one of our dogs, Yoda, with me, and the two of us just sat there and watched this fox just trot across the road. And then last night, a red fox was right here in the yard with us. And now I realize that there's a half a dozen foxes who have a den close by, and so they're here all the time. I see their tracks in the snow. And so all of these things that, you know, we requested, and when she told us that she wanted to be backed up to a mountain to die as we were doing the burial, the skies cleared. It was a really strange day. It was heavily overcast. But a sliver of clear sky just around the horizon opened up and you could see the mountains across the way. And Mount Susitna lies right across from Anchorage to the south of us. And you could see Susitna clearly. And our neighbor Alicia pointed out the view and reminded us of the indigenous legend that Susitna was called the Sleeping Lady. And the legend is that this princess laid down to wait for her love to return from battle. And as he didn't return, the mountain covered her with snow and flowers. And Alicia pointed out that the sleeping lady, Patty, now lies in view of the sleeping lady, Susitna. And it was every morning, every night, little pieces, amazing little pieces of nature appear to me, views that I've never seen before standing on our property. The first morning she passed, within hours, I went up to go prepare the greenhouse. And as I walked up, I saw through the trees, Alpenglow, and I w didn't know what mountain I was seeing through those trees. So I walked across the road and I realized we have a view of Denali, the great one, from right here, it's nearly 100 miles from our home, but that morning, it was clearly lit up and just right there for me to see. So she had truly backed herself right up to the mountains. And all of these little energetic things that just constantly remind me that she is everywhere, in everything, and all at once. And so it's... It's hard to experience loss when every breath you take, you feel your beloved. And every beautiful thing you see, you feel like she has a hand in. And at least in your viewing of it, it's, it was a magic thing that she gave me. And I, I don't know how to put it into words to express the gratitude I have. I, I loved your post on Facebook, Greg, that about the 12 days 
you yes. talked about 12 days since a number of things 12 days 12 days ago you rode the mountains with your best friend 12 days ago you took her picture as she struck those beautiful poses always the most glamorous girl on the planet 12 days ago her smile 12 days it felt like a lifetime today is the day after i led her to her final earthly resting place how can a lifetime have passed in these 12 days and then you finish with it needs a lifetime 12 days fill me to overflowing yeah it sort of mirrors what you've shared again today right is that you know a lifetime a lifetime can occur in a moment but that's something that i don't think as humans we acknowledge often enough that we're so busy that if we can just experience a moment that we can experience an entire lifetime in that moment and she gives me those moments constantly and so now for you greg it's been a while december 3rd patty left this earth the world how does it feel for you now as you yoda and mocha Go about your days in Willow, Alaska. I think maybe in some ways you've already spoken to it and the acknowledging and the recognizing that she is now living everywhere and everything. But what now for you? So the next piece for me is to really find a medium to tell this story. And that was a conversation that we had that this is going to be the effort is to really to let other humans know that we can live like this, that we can be our authentic self. Patty was, oh my gosh, in my mind, she was the author of the authentic human. It was impossible for her to lie, to deceive, to have a hidden agenda. And when she would irritate people with her directness, I would remind them that you never have to wonder what Patty is thinking about you because she'll be the first one to inform you. And this was something I knew about her our whole life together, but I did not truly appreciate the beauty of it until these last few years. It's so different from the way we're taught to live as humans, but it is so right living and this is the message that I really want to get across is the message from Patty that we can all be our authentic selves. And if our families, our friends can't handle that, then we don't have to maintain those relationships. And we can create family and community with the people who can accept us as our authentic self. And the remarkable thing is those family and friends who rejected the authentic self come full circle around in the end. They all did for Patty, some after her death, some before. But she never worried about how she impacted others. Oh, as she used to say, how how I affect you is not high on my priorities. 
And it's not something we're taught in society. It is something that is so foreign. And we first encountered this concept, I think, in Jeffrey Redinger's book, Cured, when she was first diagnosed. And we were actually on the trip for the radiation treatment when we were reading the book together. And he talks about the five modalities of healing. And we've all heard about the four modalities of healing. And, and Redinger added a fifth, was healing our identity. And in healing our identity is really allowing ourselves to be authentically us. And we realized in the reading of that, that this was one of the keys that we were missing was we had not truly been our authentic selves. We had tried to tame ourselves down for society, for our families. We had tried to live within their expectations. And these last few years, she really, she cracked that mold and she stomped on it. This is the story that I want to tell. This is the important one because I don't hear anyone else telling that the message that Patty was trying to share, that we can all do this. And I look at how completely she left this existence, and I know she was right, that she was right about everything. And it is so contrary to all the messaging that we receive that this story just has to be told. Wow. And so to, in, in the one hand, some people will look at this story, whether they have the privilege of being a friend on the Facebook and reliving some of that story or hearing story told or watching YouTubes and may consider this a story about death and illness. It is not a story about death and illness at all. It is a story about life and living and love. And that is the, I get chills down my back just thinking of that magnitude of that, because that truly is what it is. And, and yes. if I may add trust to that, because the degree of trust that we all had for each other in that journey, but in the trust that Patty had in Greg and the trust that Greg had in Patty, without that intimate soul connection, that's the story, as you said, it's a love story plus, because it's a story of the spiritual beingness that these two people shared that was powerful, 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 powerful. Yeah. So Terry. Yes, ma'am. This experience that you had with Patty and Greg, how has that impacted you? How has that changed or has that changed any thoughts or any way that you are going to continue to live your life? Well, of course, <laughs> you, this the whole journey with Patty and then with Greg and being her doula and being her friend, being her intimate friend in terms of just what she asked of me and what she gave to me and what we shared so freely with each other um, 
as women, as mothers, as doulas, it, you know, I will carry that wisdom and that sisterhood with me through every relationship and in my relationships with others at 100% be your authentic self at all times. Check in with yourself. Like, how am I doing here? I find myself really being intentional in my communication with people. I am more rooted in my soul calling of my doula-ness and this work that I do. I feel like I've learned, not only was it the coming there and being her doula, but it was also home funeral. It was also the washing of the body, the spending time with the body, the, sh the shrouding of the body. We picked the shroud. She said she loved the color because it reminded her of Greg's eyes. You know, I mean, it was so intimate and to wash her body and oil her body and Greg and I sharing in that together and shrouding her and having holding vigil for her and, you know, the pyre to melt the dirt. There's video of that it was a powerful experience because from there we got to do the green burial. And so it encompassed every single aspect of what I practice. And Patty, that was the gift. It's like, okay, here it is, all of it. It's yours, you know, it's yours. And it and and that's how it felt. In the service to her and to Greg, it became mine. And that's the lesson that I will carry with me for always. I am forever changed by this experience. I'm sorry, but it's so real for me. And I pray that that we move out of all of the medical stuff that because it's not we all know it's not a medical journey it is a spiritual journey that we're having and it was my it was my journey too and that's so i was inside of it in that the, you spoke of the moment when greg was smudging patty and the releasing for her if you could have felt what it felt like in the room you can't imagine all of the ancestral energy that was present as well. It wasn't just the three of us. The, the spirit energy was so powerful. And one of my indigenous friends actually sent me an eagle feather. And there was so much magic that I could talk for days about it. I could talk for days Patty wanted Greg, Greg touched on it, that the community that, and being able to ask for help or accepting help. And Patty, when she had her energy burst, she wanted to go visiting. She wanted to say goodbye to her neighbors. And Greg so lovingly applied her makeup, it was so intimate and so precious and created a space in the back of the car with blankets and pillows and lifted her into the car and we drove with her and you know she said uh, he mentioned Alicia and James and Patty had this moment with Alicia captured a photo of 
And she was, Alicia is the one that was, is the medicine woman. And Patty really, really wanted to see her. It was so important to her. And create, so Greg would have community. She knew what was, she knew what he needed. She knew him so well, and she didn't want to leave him alone. And that community showed up with food and oils and their shovels. And we all put the dirt in the grave together. And it was a story that has so many facets that I'll probably be telling as long as I live. As long as I live. Uh, it, so I think I probably answered your, <laughs> your question <laughs> of how it changed me. But I have a love for Greg that I will always carry no matter what. And I hope that we see each other again. When I listen to you both talk I, and share some of this story, it leads me to imagining what things might have been 100 years ago, 200 years ago, when life was simpler, when we were called more to be more real with each other, when we had to divinely show up and take care of our own ill and our own dying and go through these processes. We need that back. And, and I think this idea that we truly need to be who we are unapologetically. That sort of the first moment I engaged with Patty a few years ago, there was no question that she was Patty unapologetically, if we could only all be like that. And yet at the same time, in her fierceness, right, to be straightforward and honest with people, it always also came from a place of love and compassion, whether she agreed with what you were doing or not what you were doing, whether she felt you could be doing something better or you should be releasing something or whatever the case may be, it all came from a place of love for you, for you, for whoever she was engaging with to be freer, to be freer. Yeah. And so is there anything else you want to share with us today in this story of this little snippet of time? I'd love that what you touched on earlier, that this is not a story about death. It's not a story about dying, that this is very much a story about living. And Patty, I think she first used the phrase, dear friend of ours, that we first met as a hospice patient. And Patty met her first and she was doing a sign in. And she showed up at, at this woman's house, whose name was also Patricia. And when Patricia found out that Patty was hospice, she held up her hand and said, who, who sent you? Why are you here? I'm, I'm not dying. And Patty looked at her and said, Patricia, she goes, I was diagnosed terminal two. And I decided that I am going to live every day until I die. And it diffused the moment. And this woman became one of Patty's best friends and went on to live nearly two years until she passed. But that was Patty's motto. I am going to live every moment until I die. And she embodied that so fully that this is truly, it's not a story about death. This is someone living right up until their last breath and being totally engaged 
she would joke with us in those few moments of lucidity in those as she started to go into the long sleep at the end. And one of the last things she said to me, she sat up and she said, have I jumped ship yet? I said, no, darling, you're still on board. I said, but what ship are you sailing on? And she said, the good ship Lollipop, and I'm the captain. That was, that was pretty much the last clear thing she said to me. And, and that was, she was sailing off into a new dimension. She loved nature. She loved wildlife. And I want to tell one more quick story. Yesterday, after I finished plowing us out, we'd gotten dumped on with several feet of snow. I went up to visit her gravesite, as I try to do daily. And I had seen that the moose had been all over the property. Um, we have a lot of saplings that they like to eat in the wintertime. And there were moose tracks everywhere. And I saw that they had gone up by her grave and I was really glad because Patty just loved the moose. She loved just having the proximity of moose and such a beautiful, huge creature. And when I got up to her gravesite, I saw that their tracks had gone right to her grave. And as I went up to it, I have a touchstone there at, at the head of her grave. And I realized that they had bedded down and it was, a mother and, and a calf, cow and calf, that had bedded down and actually slept on her grave for the night. And wow. <laughs> these are the energetic gifts she just continues to give me. Um, wow. Yeah. It's, we are so alive even when we're dead. And this whole thought process of alive and dead is so flawed. And so, yeah, I, I just wanted to touch on that, that this is a story about life and how life continues even beyond this physical existence. And it is amazing and beautiful. And our limited, frail human understanding, we, we have such a minuscule concept of what life actually encompasses. And I think Patty really kind of blew the doors off of that for me and really showed me the expansiveness of what our energy can become. I just had a hummingbird come and like what 12 inches from my face. I looked right in this hummingbird's eyes. It was right here by my face, 12 inches. And I just watched it. It was like there for the longest time. You know, but, and what every, was the last, last gift she gave you was that jeweled hummingbird. Yes, that's right. That's right. Every, <laughs> everything, everywhere, all at once. Yeah, love it. Everything, everywhere, all at once. I'd like to just kind of close, if you, if I may, with this post that you did on the fourth of December, Terry, and it was in Patty's own words of wisdom. I had a good birth with Amy. I share a good death with Greg. I have endured the experience with joy. To find true love of self, which is everything, open me to the knowing, validates. We can leave our life content. We have given our children something they can trust. We walk the rest by ourselves. It's the journey. 
your tribe will show up for you. They will. Be present. Be open. Be you as you rise to your higher self you seek. Accept the impermanence that you will die because you will. We want to thank you both so much for giving us time today to share just a part of this story, just a surface of it. Thank you so very, very much. Be sure to catch the next episode of the Dishing Doulas podcast and more at www.dnint.com. And be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform. You can send any questions or comments to admin at ddnint.com and connect with us at Death Doula Network International on both Facebook and Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you for listening to the Dishing Doulas podcast, where we're changing the world's approach to death and dying. One conversation at a time.